0: Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On today's episode of our daily NYFF 60 edition, director Paul Schrader and cast members Sigourney Weaver and Joel Edgerton discuss Master Gardener, a main slate selection of this year's festival, with NYFF artistic director Dennis Lim. Edgerton plays Narvel Roth, a man who takes great care and pride in his work as the longtime head horticulturalist at Gracewood Gardens, the historic estate of the demanding, imperious Norma Haverhill played by Weaver. An enclosed, scrupulously run world of its own, Gracewood has been in the Haverhill family for generations, and Norma trusts no one other than Narvel to continue its traditions. However, a threat of change is hearkened by the arrival of Norma's troubled grandniece, Maya, played by Quintessa Swindell, whose presence sets off a chain reaction of events that catalyze Narvel into coming to terms with his own shocking past. Following First Reformed and The Card Counter, Schrader continues his dramatic renaissance with an equally effective, startling tale about dormant violence and the possibility of regeneration. To learn more and get tickets for this year's NYFF, taking place through October 16th in all five boroughs of NYC, visit filmlink.org. Enjoy this conversation with Schrader, Weaver, and Edgerton.
1: Okay, uh, please welcome back Paul Schrader, Sigourney Weaver, and Joel Edgerton. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you all for being here
2: today. Thank you.
1: Um, I'm going to start with a question for Paul. Um, I think you were starting to describe the film in your introduction, and I think you used the word fable.
3: Well, I've But thinking more and more along those terms, it wasn't really how I conceived it. But after I finished it, I realized that, you know, could such a thing like this happen? Probably not. <laughs> um, well, which
1: you know, which part exactly? A is...
3: Proud Boy, you know being rehabilitated this way, finding love this way. I I don't know how realistic it is, but it certainly has value as a story. And stories are what we tell ourselves, you know. And so I began to think of this not so much as something ripped from reality, but as a kind of uh, valuable story, allegory, like a Flying O'Connor kind of story. And so that's why I've I've been using that word because I'm trying to fend off these comments that people say, well, I don't believe that. Well, you you don't have to believe it. You just have to imagine it.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) What do you think, then, is the value of telling or imagining this story?
3: Uh, How... Well, I've always been interested in this particular type of character. Yeah. He's He's been up to date a man, although I'm going to try to venture into the distaff territory. Uh, but there's someone who has a, a sense of guilt, a sense of self-punishment, a sense that um, he's done wrong and, and he can make some kind of amends through his own self-sacrifice, you know, this goes all the way back to Travis Bickle. Um, and so this is an iteration of that, uh, which was has a much more life-enhancing conclusion, uh, whereas the others tend to end in, in death or imprisonment. Uh, this doesn't. And uh, so... Um, but that's
1: the distinction, I guess. Uh, I'd love to bring um, Sigourney and Joel into it. Um, I, I think it's it's your first time working with with Paul in both both cases, right? Um, I, I was just would love to hear, you know, maybe your reaction to the script when you read it, and also how that how that aligned or, or or did not with your sense of Paul. Obviously, somebody who's you know such a touchstone figure, and somebody I'm sure you knew his work well before he came to you with the script. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you want me to start I got sent the script by Paul and as I was reading it and really enjoying it I, I, I was asking myself when it, when's the violence coming and I was sort of happy to know that it was coming but it was coming in a different kind of way than other films in fact you know I here in New, York, I was living in New York at the time that First Reformed came out, and I was so um, I could use a lot of words to describe it. I was so impressed by that film, and, and "impressed" covers a whole lot of reasons. Um, and I thought there was a lot of softness and sensitivity in that film, with with violence sort of in the air, and and I felt that about this, and but it, it seemed like this and, and First Reformed in some ways, even though they're quite linked, are, are also, aren't as rich with violence, that the violence is there in the past. And, and um, uh, I was very taken with this particular version of what I thought was a character I was familiar with.
4: Well, I was immediately intrigued. Paul is a Titan. Um, and even though he's written wonderful parts for women, um, I thought, well, he's written some sort of part for me. Um, <laughs> um, or he wrote it anyway. Just thinking of me. Um, but so I think that I was so astonished by the script. It's It's so dense. And it has no transitions. It has no explanations. It's so spare. It's so mysterious. And I was really blown away by it. Um, And the character of Norma, I uh, sort of took my breath away. I hadn't ever come across a character quite like Norma. Certainly not in a contemporary movie, and so I thought, "Wow, this is fabulous."
1: Uh, Paul, w- just where did these characters come from for you? Did you start with the characters, or did you start with this this the idea of the garden? I guess. Which oh,
3: I start with the occupational metaphor. Yeah. Uh, some kind of, because you know I've described in the past that these are stories of of the man in a room uh alone wearing a mask the mask is his occupation and he's waiting for something to happen and so you're always looking for that occupation that has a resonance that people don't associate with it people used to take taxi drivers were sort of garrulous and everybody's brother's best friend when I looked at the tax driver and I said, this is the heart, so, this is the black heart of Dostoevsky. That's what it is, riding in this metal green, I mean, this yellow metal coffin through the sewers of the city. This is Dostoevsky. This is not, you know, your pal. And, uh, and similarly, you know, approaching other occupations, whether it be a jiggle or a drug dealer or a, a reverend uh, uh, poker player. You're trying to find a metaphor that has a kind of resonance. You know, what do you think of when you think of a poker player? What do you think of some, a big game? No, no, no. He's, in fact, a torturer who's hiding out playing cards. So you, that's what you're looking for. So I'm I looking at, I think, a gardener. That's an interesting metaphor. What is he really hiding from? Uh, why is he a gardener? Uh, how? And so that's where it starts and then you have the metaphor then you start to branch out and then you have the larger social stew that he is involved in whether that be climate change uh urban violence uh, torture or in this case uh race and but it, it doesn't begin with race it doesn't begin uh it begins with the metaphor uh, the the occupational metaphor
1: you um Describe or I don't know if you've described or people have described this as a trilogy, um, starting with First Reform Card Counter, and and this one. I don't know if you do. You think that's accurate? I think there's certainly something that connects the films, you know, thematically, but also what Sigourney was saying about the
3: spareness and the density of. Yeah, well, people, uh, friends of mine were describing it as a trilogy, and I was objecting, and then I finally realized that yeah, I think they're right. Probably is, <laughs> um, and so and those three films have. Similar things, including each one has a phantasmagorical sequence, whether it's levitation or a uh, or, or Christmas event. But here it's driving through nature, and all of nature comes to bloom. And so uh, it felt. It, like, you know, and I know that, you know, our, our critics love trilogies. They hate tetralogies. And so I thought, well, I better call it a trilogy because, then, you know, if I call it a tetralogy, they'll get angry at me. So now uh, I'm trying to write this about this character again, but I have to step aside. And, uh, so it's time to make him or her. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, he's now a, a nurse, a trauma nurse in Puerto Rico. Okay, that's the that's the occupation.
1: I would go back to the 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 actress and and Joel Sigourney. If you want to talk a little bit about the experience of working, actually working with Paul and 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 being on set and what that was like,
4: twenty days, that is not very long. <laughs> and uh, this man uh, was editing as we shot. Sometimes we'd actually, I've never done this before, but we'd shoot a master of the first part of the scene that he needed. Then we'd come in for a two-shot or whatever for the next section of the scene. This is how we shot the scene in the potting shed. And then we'd come in for close-ups. So we didn't waste one second of the day. And uh, he never stopped. And he also kept rewriting every single day. The line at the end where I say, this is obscene, there was another line there that was the one line in the in the script that I had dared to take issue with um when the master. And um and and Paul immediately said, Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Anyway, we that was in rehearsal, so it was really on that very day that we shot it that you had the line. I don't know when you came up with it. It was the day
3: before. And sort of, you know, I said, oh, that's, that, that's the word. And, uh, and luckily, I came up with it the day before, because sometimes you come up with it the day afterward.
1: <laughs> uh, Joel, I don't know if you want to talk about it. And also, I'm curious just about the, the, the physicality of just this character and the role. And, and so much of it is about, you know, just the body. The body
2: language and and the actual body of this of this man, uh, I can answer sort of both of those questions. They sort of relate to each other. I mean, everything that Sigourney said about working with Paul. I think it was actually eighteen days, wasn't it? Eighteen? Oh,
3: it was. It was. It was nineteen.
2: Oh. <laughs> and
3: then we went back and we. Oh yeah. Added a day. Yeah. But
2: you know, to make a movie at uh, that schedule always feels. I always feel like you're being chased down the street by a bear. <laughs> and it wasn't the case here because of how well planned Paul is, how I assume most the history of making cinema when there wasn't a world of digital cameras to just shoot for as long as you wanted and work it out in the edit room. It felt like a very precise filmmaking experience and, and not only in the filmmaking but in the writing and I really appreciated that. Um, but I was also curious as an as an actor going to work for Paul because and I've said this before that part of the, re- the, the things that I identified with as an actor when I was deciding to to make or try and make life as an actor was the kinds of characters that Paul was writing back in the day were the things that made me I wanted to play those kinds of characters, you know, and there I was years later p- sort of pinching myself that he wanted me to be one of those people and we had conversations about what, I guess, what Paul expects or requires or would like of a s- central character in a film, that they occupy a place, uh, kind of interest, well, introspection, but, 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 but that they are still a component to a much kind of, crazier uh, ensemble I guess that that um, he was basically asking me not to act I think <laughs> which I found a bit terrifying because actors like to bring a bag of tricks and um, so there was an interesting process that I felt like a good challenge to you know the physicality that you're talking of there's not a lot of violence in this film yeah,
3: well actually how joel ended up in the film is uh at one point we were going to shoot this in australia because i wanted to shoot it's a great garden town shoot in their summer our winter and then COVID came along and we got knocked out of that but while we were casting uh both uh, ethan hawk and uh, Oscar Isaac uh, and talked to about uh, just to get their opinions. And I knew that either one would have liked to play it, but I, I said to them, I said, no, I think this is more of a kind of a a 50s kind of lug. This is kind of a Bob Mitchum <laughs> you know, kind of a Bob Mitchum kind of guy. And, and then you know, we started thinking about actors, and because we're going to shoot in Australia, I think, you know, Joel's name comes up, and I said, wow, that's great. He lives here. We can save some money. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, COVID came along, and everything changed. But uh, fortunately, I already had Joel, and we came and shot it in Louisiana.
2: And i cost you money. <laughs> and then i cost you money. <laughs>
1: um, something Jill mentioned um, when he was talking about just, is just, you know, shooting with, with digital. And I, I wonder if, Paul, if you can talk a little bit about just, it seems you, you've been actually quite very prolific, I think, in, in, in recent years. Um, and I, there seems to be, in addition to the restraint of these films, I think there's also, I, it seems to me like a sense of freedom. And I'm wondering if that has to do with just, you know.
3: I mean, it has to do with the economics, of yeah. two things. Uh, uh, the technology. Uh, the Final Cut. Now the technology gave me Final Cut, uh, which is when I started making films. This film would have been 44 days. Now it's 19, 20 days. That's literally half the amount of time, which means, for practical purposes, half the amount of money. Uh, everything goes faster. The, the lighting, everything. And in so uh, you're not losing. Uh, footage. In fact, shooting more film than you shot in twice that time, but you're just losing dead time. You don't go. You don't leave the floor anymore. You know. Uh, I, I remember when directors used to have trailers. Now, a movie like this, but you, you head for your trailer. By the time you get there, someone taps you on the shoulder and says, but your trailer they're ready." So you never leave the set, and therefore you just work at a much faster pace. And this then gives you artistic freedom, because you're working at a lower budget level, you are able to just say to your investors uh, with some sincerity and perhaps even some accuracy, <laughs> "I'll get you your money back." <laughs> and um, because you're not working at a price point that starts to make sense, you know, at twice the budget this film doesn't make sense economically, but it makes sense at this budget. So those are the things that uh, have, um, have freed me because now I, I know I'm, I can make these things. I remember being much younger and in the studio system and wanting to do something Bressonian, but re- just refusing to do it because I knew it would kill my career that I would, if I did something like that everybody would point the finger at me and I would be dead and so you know alright let's just shoot some more people then and so now I can finally sort of do that kind of thing and still be financially responsible I mean I was you know, a good Calvinist boy I do believe it's, and you know, stewardship I think is the the Christian word for being financially responsible
4: I actually think it frees actors too yeah because it just, everything has to tumble right out of you. There's no weighing of choices. It just erupts. Yeah, and I also believe, I mean,
3: trailer time was not good for anybody. It wasn't good for actors either. You know, you would visit them, they would be sitting there, calling their girlfriend, smoking a joint, reading this. Uh, and, they, and then two hours later, you get a knock on the door and come out. And um, and actors like all farm animals (laughs) love to be under the harness. They love to work, and the more they can work, the happier they are. And so you know, it's good for everyone.
1: Do you want to quickly respond? Yeah. yeah. Um, all
2: right.
1: I do think um, we, we actually have to wrap it up, because Joel has to get on um, the plane back to Chicago. Uh, but Paul will be back tomorrow. He's doing a talk at 2 o'clock um, in the amphitheater. Come for that. Thank you, uh, Paul, Sigourney, okay. and Joel. Thanks very much.
4: Man.